Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Oscar Watch Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Buja, and joining me, near and far, wherever we are, it's the one and only <laughs> Matt Marchetti. Uh, hey there. Hey, Matt. How's it going this week? Uh, it's going very well. I mean, it's two days into the week, and I'm not um, super depressed yet with work and everything, so I'm ready to talk movies. Let's do this. Okay, we are, and we are, we are certainly talking... <laughs> a movie, uh, one of the grandest spectacles uh, ever put onto film. This week's film is Titanic, in case, for whatever reason, you did not read the uh, episode title and you just started listening to him. Kudos to you. <laughs> this was the 1997 Best Picture winner. Uh, kind of mopped the floor with everybody else. Big time stuff. First movie to a billion dollars. It's uh, it has a it has a storied history to it, and I want to talk about our own personal histories to it. Matt, you you come at this film from a very <laughs> a, a very rare place. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, I can. Uh, I think it was. I think I kind of alluded to it in an Instagram, but this was the first time I had seen the movie, um, and it wasn't because I hadn't heard of the movie. Obviously, it was kind of. <laughs> ubiquitous throughout the 90s and, and still kind of is because they've brought it back in 3D and stuff but uh, I didn't see it because I like couldn't just stand the idea of it at the time it just <laughs> it, it was so popular that I did that like elitist I was 14 at the time yep. so I was just like I don't want to see this because everybody likes it and I think it just kind of stuck for couple years i hadn't seen it and then you know the the statute of limitations on a movie's popularity kind of died down a little bit and i just hadn't seen it ever since so it was kind of like a boycott but also it was just like i don't i don't know how super interested i am at the time to see this so i was really excited uh to watch it for the first time okay i look forward to hearing your thoughts uh at the uh during the third act break i i too i know exactly that feeling that you're talking about the elitist Screw, screw what's popular because I was 14, 15 at the time. I believe this came out in November and played forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did see it a bunch of times, mostly because at around that same time, I started dating girls. <laughs> I got a girlfriend around here, and I remember seeing this movie. I actually believe I saw this movie at least five times in the theater. And my wow. and my poor mother, because I don't have a driver's license, she had to haul my ass to the movies every time. I was like, I want to go to the movies, but you've already seen that movie. But what if they change the ending, Mom? What if the ship doesn't sink and <laughs> <laughs> so on and so forth? So, um, yes, I, I this must have been one of the first movies I went and saw with a girlfriend. Although, man, that was 20 years ago. It has been 20 years since this movie. And it, uh, as you say, yeah. it still sticks around. There has been yes. a pop culture. It's embedded itself into the framework of it. You know, sure has. I mean, have you... I mean, before 1997, nobody went to the bow of the, the front of a ship and said, I'm the king of the world. And after 90, 1997, at least one jackass does that. <laughs> no, matter, no matter how big the boat is. It could be a small two-person... Robo. I was in a rowboat today. I did it. Like, I don't. Like, I don't like, it's, it's what you do when you're on a boat. That's, yeah. that's just the power of of Titanic. So, but I gotta say, Matt, to hear someone who has never seen the movie 
you're you're like a unicorn, man. <laughs> the rarest you, of beasts. Yeah. Like, what did you have it in? What did you have in mind that was going to happen? Besides um, the ship sinking, obviously. I think it was just the the, the sweeping romance of it. I, I I mean, I definitely had seen you know the, the poster. The poster was really famous, and and the trailers and everything. And I just I don't know. I wasn't super enthused by pretty much anything I saw. I mean, I, I liked. The, the the framing of of the Titanic I like that I did a historical piece and I thought that was really interesting but um I just wasn't wasn't crazy about it yeah it was it came out like uh, like you said November December time in '97 and, and I think I just was into other things and then it got huge and the Academy Awards came around and I was like well I definitely don't want to see it now stupid popular movie winning right. all awards and everybody likes yeah. it. Ugh being older i was just being like my 50 year old self at 14 so yeah but when you're when you're 50 years old you've you've earned the curmudgeon when you're 14 you're just a jackass oh i didn't earn any of it yeah, <laughs> yeah. i was just doing it yeah just doing it we're all oh the things i would tell myself i just want I just, I, I just constantly be slapping myself in the face if i were able to go back in time be like 14 yourself stop being just stop being such an idiot yeah just stop it right stop if anything, I, uh, dear listeners, I find that this podcast, for the movies in the mid, mid-90s, early 2000s, they are a great reminder of where I've gone, and they are not only talks of the films, they are talks of one's character at the, at the time the film came in. They're sort of, um, they're sort of time capsules. It's, it's something I like. So, honestly, I, I, I look at Oscar Watch as a bit of therapy, and I think Titanic... Gave me a lot of therapy indeed. Uh, speaking of lots of stuff, Titanic won a shit ton of Academy Awards that night, and we are going to take a short break, and when we come back, we will discuss the 1997 Academy Awards that Titanic just, just rolled, just rolled completely. Stick around. I don't know about you, but I'm having a really great time. <laughs> Every director that ever stood up here had his cast to thank, and I had a killer cast. They really threw down for me. So, Kate, Gloria, Leo, uh, <laughs> Kathy, uh, Francis and Billy, uh, Bill, Susie, Lewis, and about 80 others. Um, you guys gave me pure gold every day, and I share this gold with you. Um, uh, everybody else that I was going to thank uh, either got um, an Oscar or, or a nomination, so they're covered. <laughs> Except for my fellow producers, Ray Sankini and John Landau. Josh McLaughlin, Ro, uh, Rod Lurie, my brother Mike Cameron, who, who uh, built the uh, deep diving camera system, uh, my lovely wife Linda, our two beautiful children, Dalton and Josephine, and my original producers, my parents who are here tonight, Philip, Philip and Shirley Cameron, mom, dad, there's no way that I can express to you what I'm feeling right now. My heart is full to bursting except to say, I'm the king of the world! 
James Cameron's Titanic won 11 Academy Awards the night of the Oscars. 11 of 14 total nominations. He obviously won Best Picture. That's why we're talking about it. Matt, could you possibly say what awards it didn't go home with? It wasn't nominated for. Ooh, this is this is tricky now. Well, it's tricky. not that tricky. It's I guess it's not that tricky. It's really so, not. it it didn't take home any of the the acting awards. No. And I believe the nominated for two. Award, either award for um, screenplay. It was never nominated for screenplay. Nominated. Actually, yes. Uh, one of two, one of two best picture winners that was not nominated for screenplay. The other, Sound of Music. Wow. True story. And I think I feel like it was makeup, maybe too. Yep. Am I correct on that one? Yeah. That, that is correct. And it was. Uh, let's see. So it didn't win best actress for Kate Winslet, best supporting actress for Gloria Stewart, best makeup was not nominated for either actor, supporting actor, or one of the screenplays. And that is really about it. <laughs> And so at the time, it won Best Picture, Best Director, James Cameron, Best Original Song, My Heart Will Go On, Best Original Dramatic Score, because at the time, the Academy, for about four years, had a, rig- a dramatic and comedy musical score going on. I, I assume that was just like Benny Hill-esque music. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what won every time. What was it? I think it was just music in a comedy, which... Can be kind of dramatic sometimes if you yeah, think yeah. about it. Yeah. Best sound, best sound effects, best art direction, cinematography, costume design, best editing, and obviously best visual effects. Yeah. That's a lot. That's that's a that is a tie for wins. Uh, tied Ben Hur and would later be tied with uh, Return of the King for <laughs> eleven, and with fourteen nominations, it tied All About Eve and this year's La La Land. La La Land, of course, has the distinction of being the only film nominated for 14 that did not win. Mm. Ah, big night for Titanic. Huge, huge night. Cameron, director of Terminator, Terminator 2, Aliens, True Lies. But he, the man, won an Academy Award. Yes. He, uh, it was a more memorable moment, as I recall. He, When he accepted, I think it was either pitcher or director, he said, let us... Uh, take a moment of silence for all of the lives lost on, on the Titanic. Yeah. And then after that, he said, okay, now we're going to party until dawn. Yeah. That's <laughs> uh, a little awkward. He also, at when he accepted one of the other awards, he declared himself king of the world. Yes. <laughs> which which itself was an ad lib line by Leo because Cameron's not a great great writer. We'll talk about that. There's a reason why this movie was not nominated for Best Screenplay. What else was nominated that night? Well, the Best Picture nominees were, I mean, the, the other four were all, in my opinion, all four really good flicks. Really as, good as, movies. As, as good as it gets, the Full Monty, Goodwill Hunting, and, and I think my favorite on the list, L.A. Confidential, but I'm, I'm yeah. impartial to anything with detectives and right. that kind of stuff. So I always thought it was, I always thought it was pronounced La Confidential. La Confidentiale. I believe it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, yep. yes. I think you're right. I apologize yeah. for that. <laughs> it, yeah. Those, that is an incredible line. You know, the full Monty doesn't get nearly as much love. No, it does not. Anymore. It really should. It's a fantastic movie. Hysterical. Yeah, yeah, I love it. As good as it gets, picked up Best Actor and Best Actress for uh, the third for Jack Nicholson, the first for Helen Hunt. 
Goodwill Oops. Hunting. Uh, we should always remind folks that it is Academy Award winning Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Because they, they wrote the screenplay. They mm-hmm. wrote the screenplay and got Robin Williams his one and only Oscar, Best Supporting Actor. Mm-hmm. And uh, LA Confidential, Curtis, uh, Curtis Hansen, right? Yep. Yep. Picked up a screenplay. And Kim Basinger, who yeah. just a few years earlier had appeared in Batman Returns. <laughs> was it Batman Returns? Uh, first Batman. It was just Batman. It was just Batman. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, not, maybe not the best. But she won Best Supporting Actress over Gloria Stewart, who was the very old, the very old, uh, the sort of the, like the, the the Cinderella story for the year, who played yep. older Kate Winslet from Titanic. That was actually a big, big surprise. Overall, man, 1997. Jesus, this was a great year for movies. Yeah, powerhouse. Oh, just. I'm looking at I'm looking at some of these films and thinking why was why were these not nominated? Where's this nominated? It's just it's there's some great stuff. What what what's on your list? I mean, other than what was mentioned, I feel like um oh was yeah I think Wag the Dog was one of the ones I had um in my head with De Niro and Dustin Hoffman. I think was actually nominated for was Hoffman nominated? I believe am I, am I crazy here? Yeah 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 Wag the Dog. Dustin Hoffman was nominated for Best Actor, and I just love. Oh, I love that movie so much. Yeah, I think I saw I saw it at at fourteen or fifteen. I did not understand it at all. <laughs> I didn't understand politics and what a spin doctor was. And then years later, I saw it, and I just thought it was one of the most hysterical, weirdly satirical things I had ever yeah. seen. Dave, um, David Mamet screenplay, yeah. and I've I've seen it pop up on news feeds recently, and I'm thinking, oh, it's time for a rewatch because yep. there's a. There are a lot of similarities happening in the world right now. Yes, there is indeed. And oh. then the other, uh, ugh, the other one that I believe was had some nominations as well. Yeah, it did. I know Julianne Moore was nominated for supporting actress, I believe, and I think Paul Thomas Anderson for screenplay for Boogie Nights. Uh, Boogie Nights, one of my, I, I I would say one of my all-time favorite films. I think every time I watch it, I like it more and yes. more and more and more. Yeah. I Conf- love that movie. Confession time. I have never seen Boogie Nights. Oh well, you gotta see it, man. I know I gotta see it. I'm sorry. I just—it's really good. It's really, really I, good. I honestly don't know why I haven't done it at this point. Inertia, by now or something. It just happens. But uh, if if we want to expand, if we want to expand out to movies that just maybe weren't nominated for anything, what does 1997 bring up? Oh, The Fifth Element, of course. <laughs> the fifth element i love the fifth element i think amistad as well was in there i remember a a really cool experience seeing amistad i think my my high school history teacher took us to go see it and he did not realize that it was filled with a few scenes of graphic violence and male nudity and it was a very (laughs) uncomfortable experience for him um but a very memorable one for all of us yeah (laughs) Um. Yep. Amistad. Yeah. Ninety-seven. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, speaking of Fifth Element, ninety-seven had some great sci-fi films. Fifth Element, Gattaca, yep, yep. Event Horizon. Yep. Totally, totally under underrated. And uh, and what and one of my favorite movies, Starship Troopers. Yes. Oh, so good. <laughs> Starship Troopers. Don't get me started on Starship Troopers. Oh, I'll lose it. 
<laughs> we could have a we could have an entire episode devoted if, to Star Trek. If you say more than one sentence about that, I will become a raving drunk with no liquor in my body, and I will just start gushing about how much I love Starship Troopers. Okay, okay, all right. Well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say the name, but what if I That's say it. that there's there's not one but two amazing pieces of cinema that that year, known as Con Air yep. and Face Off. <laughs> Two of the great, two of the greatest Nicolas Cage movies. I'm glad my wife is not here. We would never get her to stop talking about those two movies. Yeah, yeah, Con Air and Face Off. I, yep, they're they're fantastic pieces of action cinema for sure. They are most assuredly movies. Yes, they, they, were, they are. Yes, they are movies. They were played played at 24 frames a second. Yes, Batman and Robin's terrible. You have Jackie Brown, oh. The Game, Johnny oh. Brasco, Air Force One. Oh, gross point blank volcano and dante's peak and, in the same <laughs> year the twofer it's a terrible twofer tomorrow never dies spawn which is i i seem to recall not liking but i'm sure maybe it's, it's not very good it's not very good all right whatever princess mononoke from studio uh, ghibli uh one of their all-time greatest friggin things the star wars special editions were released in theaters for the 20th anniversary of the original yeah and, and then you know david lynch was like yeah i'm gonna release lost highway because it's a great uh, movie just this is a powerhouse year it is crazy I yeah love it i love it any are there any lousy horror movies i always gotta ask there's gotta be somebody's uh, talking about horror movies. i feel like i feel like still a lousy horror film so the last podcast that we're talking about the films that I was going to be most recently reviewing on my um, Instagram and it was the Wishmaster series and the <laughs> Wishmaster series began in 1997 of course you dude you blew my mind when that you went I when you reviewed the fourth one the fourth. I didn't even know there was a fourth one I was like what oh no there's <laughs> a fourth one and it's and it's actually pretty good which is which is even weirder that was the academy awards that was 1997 I want to go back because that was the year that was I was 14 you were 14 it was the year like I think really started getting into movies lord knows I went to the video store all the time mm. for whatever reason just a side note I saw the fifth element three times in one day at home we had it on DVD or no we had it on VHS and somebody knew it kept coming in so we just kept starting it over watch <laughs> It's amazing. I love that you movie. Can, you can do that with that movie. That's a movie you can do that with for sure. Absolutely. But enough talk of that. When we return, we are going to discuss, finally, Titanic. Titanic. <laughs> it's getting quiet. It's just going to take them a couple of minutes to get... The boat's organized. I don't know about you, but I intend to write a strongly worded letter to the White Star line about all this. I love you, Jack. Don't you do that. Don't you say your goodbyes. Not yet. Do you understand me? I'm so cold. Listen, Rose. You're going to get out of here. You're going to go on. And you're going to make lots of babies. 
and you're gonna watch him grow. You're gonna die an old, an old lady, warm in her bed. Not here. Not this night. Not like this. Do you understand me? I feel my body. Winning that ticket, Rose, was the best thing that ever happened to me. It brought me to you. And I'm thankful for that, Rose. I'm thankful. You must. You must. You must do me this honor. You must promise me that you'll survive. That you won't give up. No matter what happens. No matter how hopeless. Promise me now, Rose. And never let go of that promise. I promise. Never let go. I will never let go, Jack. I'll never let go. Matt Marchetti, I have a question I've been dying to ask you all evening long. It's mm. probably not the question that you're thinking of. And that Ooh, is, right. is this the most Billy Zane Billy Zane has ever Billy <laughs> Zane? <It's, laughs> it is. Um, I, if it's not, it's damn close. Uh, I mean, I don't. I can't think of anything in recent. I mean, not definitely not in recent memory, but anything that sticks out to me. Yeah, um, I I looked at his IMDb page. He's been in like 150 movies, none of which I've heard of, except for this one, Zoolander. Zoolander, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. sorry. And uh, what, what was that? The Phantom? Was that Phantom? Yeah. Phantom. Billy he, Zane. He, he has he has a couple. Just as a aside, yeah, he's got a couple uh, excellent roles in. Um, movie dead calm from 1989 with sam neill and nicole kidman it's a thriller on a, on oh, a yeah. boat, like a hitchcockian type um he's excellent in that as the villain uh and then he was in he plays opposite tom berenger in 1993 sniper as the evil sniper <laughs> i think <laughs> I he i think he i think he i think isn't he in other movies like other sequels sniper something or other he could be in this well he gets killed at the end of sniper spoiler whatever right? the bad guy <laughs> And then there was one more that was in my head. Oh, it was 19, uh, 1995. It was the first Tales from the Crypt film, Demon Knight. Oh, and yeah. He plays a he plays the villain. He's like this demonic collector of souls, and he is just on fire in that movie. So That's great. Uh, that's just a yeah. few years before before Titanic. Yeah, so. yeah. And uh, how weird is it to say that Billy Zane was in an Academy Award winning Best Picture film? Pretty weird. It's pretty weird. Pretty, it's pretty, weird. pretty surreal. <laughs> yeah. But uh, moving moving on. So, uh, so Billy Zane played Kaladin Hockley in this movie, who was the a completely one dimensional rich guy from the nineteen from the nineteen teens, which goes to show that Matt watching this movie now is not. It is actually not very well written. I was, mm-hmm. I. I knew it wasn't the best written. I didn't realize that it's actually there's not a there's not a lot happening underneath any of these characters. They're all very 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 shallow. Yep. 
Now, what is your impression, having never seen this movie? I guess the biggest bang for the buck was that it felt, and, and people have talked about this till the cows have come home, literally, um, that it, it felt like James Cameron trying to be James Cameron. He had the, the kind of frame story with Bill Paxton and Gloria Stewart, where they're actually, you know, um, they're traveling down via, like, submarine to the Titanic, and that feels very much like the abyss, and aliens with this kind of like team going in this undis you know this um, this new area exploring something, um, so it felt like that, which I'm sure Cameron was really comfortable with, combined with you know an old fashioned kind of Hollywood epic, something like Gone with the Wind and 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 the like, um, and I think in a large sense, like an overall sense. It, it succeeds in what it's trying to do in, a, in an overall impression when the movie was done, at least for me. Um, okay. Individual pieces of it didn't work as well as, as others. Um, and, and like, like uh, we, we were discussing a little bit, some of the, the um, kind of out there, ele- not out there elements, I shouldn't say, but the stuff that wasn't um, centered around uh, the Jack and Rose characters, I actually found even more interesting um, than than their storyline, which was very like stock. It was clearly, you know, for the masses. Um, so some of those moments, like the band continuing to play, particularly was, I thought was just a nice little touch going back and forth. And for some reason, I was like incredibly affected by Victor Garber as Thomas Andrews. Like every time <laughs> he said anything, I was like, oh my God, this poor man. Like he is just so distraught like when the ship hits the iceberg and it, he's laying out the blueprints and everyone's like, well, we can probably get out of here. And he's like, no, we were all going to die. This thing is going down. And he explains it. And I mean, I don't know. I mean, it might be one of the better performances in the film, even though he probably only has like five or six total scenes. Um, I just found myself really like drawn to his performance and his character. I, I don't, I don't know why that I think like the most heartbreaking moment well, one of the most heartbreaking moments in the entire film is is him telling Rose, "I wish I could have built you a, built you a better ship" or something like that. Yeah. Oh, I was just like, "Oh, it's Thomas, <laughs> that's the that's the romance I want. It's my romance, I guess, with with Thomas Andrews, <laughs> or maybe Victor Garber. Well, I don't know. Vic, Victor Garber is a handsome man. I would. Uh, yes, he is. But the film is a broad strokes movie. It's the storyline is Romeo and Juliet. It has some ideas behind it, but it never fully explores them. But you know what? That is precisely what James Cameron needs. He needs something that is broad and visually stunning. Mm-hmm. And it works because it is just it is not is not a very specific movie. It's not a film that's like Spotlight, for instance, which has some maybe not the best example. It works because it is so universal. It's yes. just it's like everyone can relate to being a teenager and being just gobsmacked in love with this person who maybe you've only known for a day or so. And he doesn't get bogged down in the silly minutia or a whole lot of backstory. It's just feel this, feel this, yep. here's the music, feel this. And it works. He bludgeons you to, <laughs> bludgeons you to cry in this movie. Yes, and does. you know what? I... I, I honestly have to give him a lot of props. One thing that really bothered me now, that ne- I guess never bothered me before, but seeing it 20 years later, the framing story, hated it. I love Bill Paxton. R.I.P. Yes. But yeah. I, this, it's 21 minutes of James Cameron just 
dicking around with his toys because he loves the fucking water. He loves being in it. So we're just going to just wander. We, he, we wander through the Titanic, and that is, that is really cool. But we are not here to see Bill Paxton. We should be here to see Bill Paxton. We should always be here to see Bill Paxton. But the way that it, it, it is devised, it just, we could knock 20 minutes off this yeah. entire thing. I was watching it with my wife, and we thought, or she thought, because she's the smarter one. What if, what if, like, what if Rose isn't dragged into this? What if she's like dying and she's going off to say goodbye to Jack? She's like on a, on a boat that's going to the the area where the Titanic was, or just something more. Give Rose some more agency because she doesn't have that much in here. So, uh, on that, what do you think of the? Uh, what do you, what do you think of Rose herself in this? How, like how how did how, how does she come across to you? I there's a there's a there's something about her. I think you talked about the universality of the film and and the kind of Romeo and Juliet piece. Um, And I don't I I feel like her character, at least in in kind of the broad sense, is pretty stock. I think that it is saved by a pretty strong performance from Kate Winslet. I mean, she's she's done, I think superior films post to this obviously but i think her performance really sells the character a lot more than maybe it deserves if that's if that's the right word yeah that's the right that's the word i wanted to use yeah sure yeah. It deserves i feel like her her performance is better than the character is written i think that she's she's able to give um so much more emotion in in scenes that uh, that other actresses um, might not have been able to pull off with the screenplay given to them so i have to give i gotta give her those those kudos i mean i I also feel like I like that she is, she seems, well, she doesn't seem, she is a lot less materialistic than a lot of women in the film. And I think that a lot of the, you know, women by necessity might have been in that time period in the early 1900s because a lot of them weren't working. They needed, uh, they needed these, these rich, or they wanted, or maybe they wanted, or needed these rich men to kind of take care of them because that's want to have children and they want to be able to take care of their children and, and have an, and have a good family. Um, and she's not as concerned about that. She, she kind of wants um, her own way. And I, that I have to give her some, some credit for. Um, I don't think we get maybe enough of that in the film, but those elements that when she kind of is able to stand up for herself, uh, scenes with her mother, when her mother admits their financial troubles and she kind of is able to, to she knows and she, and she knows that it's, it, it's a crutch for her, but she's able to kind of walk away with her, with her head held high. Um, the scene in this in steerage with, with Jack and when they're dancing and she really holds her own. I mean, that's just a really charming scene in general I found, but I think when she's, she's able to kind of um, move through these different social groups on the, on the ship. Um, I just thought, I just thought she was interesting. Jack, on the other hand, is just for me. It's just kind of blah. Um, but but Rose to me was a little more um, three dimensional, or at least two dimensional. <laughs> yeah. she, she was she was two dimensional. One thing I kept noting was she wants to, you know, be her own person. She wants to do her own just do her own thing mm-hmm. without without the help of a man. But almost everything happens because Jack. Or Cal tells her to do something. Yeah, she she learns how to. She teaches he teaches her how to spit. She uh, when Jack is tie is 
handcuffed to the pipe. He tells her basically what to go and do. Yeah, you He's, can do this, Rose. You can do this. Yeah, it, it's it's a little condescending. And then finally, at the end, he is in the water, shivering. He's about to freeze to death. What does he say? Not, you know, you're going to survive and you're going to go live your life. No, you're going to survive and you're going to have lots of babies. <laughs> I just like because that that's is, what women do. That is so. Uh, that is so condescending. Oh, yes, it is. Yes, it is indeed. So I get that she is a quote unquote tough strong, independent woman, so to speak. But a lot of the faults of James Cameron as a writer come out in how he how he writes women interacting with men and vice versa. And it's also a movie that is set in 1912, and so there's going to be some problematic sexism. It's just wish it, it didn't have to be as bad, because you have Cal already there, Who's knocking tables over and just be it just he's being Billy Zane. Like I assume this is what Billy Zane is like. <laughs> the whole movie should have just been just like I wanna I want a, a second t- Titanic two and it's just Cal's story. It just follows him on the ship the entire time. Like just just menacing and mincing and just being a general ass to everybody, like just being so mean to everybody. I would right. watch that for an hour and a half. Easy. Easy. Yeah. But not two not two and a half or three. No, just, just no, that's not, super simple. An hour and a half of Billy Zane is just enough. I, I'm kind of paraphrasing uh, a reviewer from when the, the Da Vinci Code came out, and they were, okay. he was talking about the performances in the movie, and he said, um, a lot of these actors looked like they read this book like it was great literature, but Ian McKellen looks like he read it on the plane ride to shooting the movie, and he was like, well, this is great fun, and he just played it broad and had a good time with it, and I feel like Billy Zane might get the movie better than anyone else involved in making it because he knows it's kind of comic booky and he just goes for it. And I mean, if James Cameron was selling them, we want, I want old fashioned mixed with, with, you know, new, new school special effects. He heard old fashioned and said, I'm going to play like a silent movie villain who just like <laughs> just is the slimiest dude ever. So maybe he was onto something the whole time. I don't know. I, I look, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Okay. Billy Zane, baby, a great actor. That's what we're that's what we're we're landing on here. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I'm doing it. I'm defending him. I also made a Devil's Advocate reference, and that's another horror movie that came out in 1997. Just to bring it back to the movie we were talking about. Oh my god. Yep. Well played. <laughs> but also, not to bring it, keep keep on Billy Zane. He does actually do one good thing. He saves a little girl. He does it. Does he do it for the for the right reasons? No, no. but he <laughs> does save her. He does yes. How many people does uh, does Rose save? None. In uh, fact, uh, yeah, I think she might actually push another guy, another dude down. She doesn't save anybody. No, she doesn't Listen. save anyone. No, not, not Jack, a soul. And Jack and Jack punches a dude who's trying to like push Rose down. Yeah, that's it. Push Rose down. And yeah. I assume that guy dies because oh, he's, he's, dead, knocked, yeah, he's knocked he's... out of the water and then he just freezes and everything like. Uh, Jack, I think you may have like so. Cal one, Jack and Rose yeah. zero. Some other observations from fourteen-year-old me versus thirty-four me. Theoden is in this movie. Yes, uh, I was. I when I saw when I saw Lord of the Rings, I was like, wait, that guy looks familiar. Yeah, Theoden, he's the captain of the Titanic, and he goes down. This is fourteen-year-old me. He goes down like a boss. That was so cool. Thirty-four-year-old yes, yeah, awesome. me goes, nah, man, you are lousy. You are bad at your job yes he is. <laughs> you're not you're you're just giving up there's an evacuation going 
you could just you're not you're not overseeing that you're not doing anything you're just gonna <laughs> go be like well i guess i'm just gonna go into the room and die it's like yep. no it, i thought it's a spectacular place to die and that was it basically that was his only purpose in the right. last scene he was in. <laughs> right which if you which i guess if this is a theodid who sort of like traveled between planes and ended up as a captain of a boat i would understand because they did is so suicidal it's so <laughs> close because they're like the same character <laughs> same and if nobody had rallied him in, in in lord of the rings he wouldn't have he wouldn't have ridden out at helm's deep he would have just sat there and got murdered so i mean it's yeah you're right you're right you're onto something here I have some other things irish dude getting shot way better than drowning or freezing i think that was you know it oh, was, I, it was... <laughs> taking that in a heartbeat literally <laughs> And the dude, the, and the the guy who shot himself again, is not the not the good thing. You're supposed to be responsible for getting these people off as best you can. But like, dude, I drowning is Ugh. that's like not a way I wanted to go. And freezing is maybe slightly above drowning. It's neither yeah. way is good. Just, but get but getting shot just quick, boom, there it's done. Finally, Matt, question: What the hell happened to Fabrizio and the Irish guy? It's, it's Fabrizio. He's the he's Jack's friend. You know, he's going to America. He can see the Statue of Liberty. It's very small, of course. And then they just we just forget about them. Yeah, they just they just go they just go away. I want you know I want to see a movie about Fabrizio and the Irish guy, whose name is their hijinks, Danny or whatever. Yeah, just yeah, because you know they suffer terrible. Everyone suffers terrible fates, but. The Irish guy gets shot. Fabrizio gets crushed by one of the smokestacks falling down on him. Yeah, it's, it's brutal. <laughs> Absolutely brutal. Oh, oh my god! And I realize this is not a particularly violent film so much, but the body count in it is very, very high because people Massive. drown and freeze to death, and it's just—it's awful. It's awful. Yeah, there's, there's, there's. A mother holding her frozen baby in the water. Oh my god! I was like appalled. Oh was my going god! I, lo- I, 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 heart sick. I was like, <gasps> oh no! Oh Jesus! But who comes to the rescue? Who comes to the rescue? Fantastic! Mr. Fantastic comes to the <laughs> rescue. <laughs> Mr. Fantastic, he's there. <laughs> I was like, it's, wait, is that that's totally Jan <laughs> Griffith or however you pronounce his name? It's spelled weird. Matt, how did the iconic moments play for you? Uh, I'm the king of the world. Jack, I'm flying. The never let go. How did not being exposed to them firsthand? How did they play? Uh, um, I mean, so, I, so I'm the king of the world was, I, you, you know, you, I, I knew it was coming. I knew the context of what it was happening in. I, I knew it was coming. Um, it's very... It's very, it's very ridiculous. It's very ridiculous. Um, I mean, but there's, there is a sense of, there is a sense that it wasn't the joy he was feeling in the moment. It was the, 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 the knowledge that the audience had, knowing he that he probably wasn't going to make it, or he definitely wasn't going to make it. We know the ship is going down, so it's you're trying to enjoy this moment, knowing the tragedy that's going to happen in a few days. Um, so that kind of put this. I actually looked at it in a very like morbid fashion that i was like you fool like you shouldn't be celebrating you should be figuring something else out you should be getting those lifeboats ready or something um so i looked at it in, in a i guess a very much darker way just kind of trying to anticipate the moment um i guess that's messed up but that was just the way i looked at it um the jack i'm flying scene i i actually 
liked a little bit more because it was over the top, but I, I was kind of swept up in the over the topness of it. And we've mentioned him before, but I, I, I almost feel like MVP or one of the MVPs for the film is James Horner because he makes so many scenes so much better with his score, his overly right. bombastic, insane sounding score at times. But man, does he sell those scenes talking about bludgeoning you with things. He, he really nails it in a few of those moments. And I think that was that's one of them. Um, I just found that to be very, you know, it's 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 corny, it's cheesy, but it's very romantic in a Hollywood way, and I, I just thought that I was okay with it. I was yeah. totally, I was totally okay with it. Yeah, the the score. James Horner also did music to another film that I loved as a teenager, which is Braveheart. They mm. sonically very similar, but yeah, it does. It. That score, I, I like. I have the soundtrack. Uh, Listen to it, and I thought, wow, this is. Like, I'm feeling I'm feeling feelings right now feeling because things. <laughs> this score does so much of the heavy lifting for this movie. Like, I think some of the scenes, like I said, the the Jack I'm flying scene, could definitely work as a the soaring like bit of romance. It's the first mm-hmm. kiss. It's you got mm-hmm. the sunset in the background. It's everything is composed perfectly, but that score. You're right. That brings it over the top. And mm-hmm. It's definitely a case of he he's Horner is just swinging to the rafters and yeah. he he nails it. He does. Completely. Uh, of course, we do have to talk about the song. <laughs> yes, the song that they allude to about a, about six thousand times in the three hour and fifteen minute runtime. <laughs> so another another confession about the song, I only remember seeing music video clips from it from the MTV Movie Awards or Music Video Awards that following year. I had never heard the song in its entirety, so I stayed through the credits to listen to the entire thing. And I was suitably moved by it. Suitably moved by the song with the scrolling black and white credits more <laughs> so than I was by a lot of the scenes in the movie itself. It's- so, another, another first for me. It's an impressive song. It Celine, is yeah. Celine, Celine Dion. She's beautiful. She's got some pipes on her. It's it's it captures the essence of the movie, the teenage romance of it all, very perfectly. You're here. There's nothing I fear, and I know that my heart will go on. Like oh, when she hits that uh, moment, it's it's so big. It's perfect. Oh, I th- I think it was a last minute addition, uh, and it got him another Oscar, and yeah. it cemented Celine Dion as a one of the all-time great divas. Yeah. Guess what? I realized I realized most of the screenplay consists of people saying Jack or Rose the entire time. I was so <laughs> sick of their names. <laughs> I, I I was honestly kind of sick of them because and this is the this is the 20 years experience now kicking in. Like love does not like this. This is not love. This is infatuation. Yes. This is. It's. You're not getting. You don't. You don't really. Do they know each other? I don't. I don't think so. So, I guess I'm being a an old man now. God, I'm an old man. You're not. You know what you're feeling is not real. Don't. Right. Not but it's. It's funny. That it's weird that I've gone that way because I remembered going into this film and thinking like, I think I'm actually gonna like this, and it comes off kind rather coolly on mm. me and it's it largely because the romance feels 
very forced. It's the music mm-hmm. that I'm I'm responding to more. Yeah, that's it. It's yep, music and composition and all that. Yeah, it's just and it's and it's the knowledge of the impending tragedy that's coming. You how you can't. It's almost sadistic. Right. You're kind of forced. To, you're forced, and it's a long movie. So I think honestly, it is. It is kind of a sadistic film. You're, you're forced to follow these characters that you may or may not get super into, and their romance, knowing that the ship is going to go down, and that one or both of them, at least someone's dying. Right. A lot of people are dying, but one of those main characters is going to well, die. That, well, well, uh, well, no, you you know that one of them. Oh yeah, right at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right at the beginning. You know that yep. Rose lives. Okay, no no dramatic tension there, and Jack is Jack's. We get the. It's like heavily implied that he does not. He does not live. So that's not that is that's not up for debate. So when it happens, it's not really moving. But right. we'll, you are moved by the old man and the old woman who are on on bed just accepting oh. their fate, which is terrible. Or 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 old uh, Benjamin Guggenheim who says, "Fucking, I'm going down with the ship." And yeah, like that was kind of that was kind of intense there. The the question that has been raging for twenty years, MythBusters has taken it on. Could Rose have gotten Jack onto that piece of wood? Certainly, it certainly seems like it. I mean, it it, it it is seeing the movie now in its entirety. I can certainly see why it has been such a heavily contested moment because you're looking at the piece of wood and just practically alone, it looks like it would hold like what must be like an 80 pound soaking wet Leonardo DiCaprio. I mean, he's like <laughs> he's a he's not a huge dude in this movie. I feel like. I mean, as weird as it might have looked, he could have just like laid on top of her at the very least and probably got away with it. Um, I'd also fair to mention that he probably could have strewn together some sort of raft made of the frozen people's corpses if he really wanted to. I mean, I just feel like I would have probably tried a lot harder to live and not just sat there and monologued to Rose the entire time. Oh, he monologued so much. He does. Oh. Never ends. It never ends. Never ends. But he deserves it. I mean, I hate to say it. But he, <laughs> yeah. it. He, he waits too long. Hubris. Oh. Hubris. <laughs> yeah. Everybody. Everybody should. Well, not everybody, but a lot of people show that. Right? I don't know. I think. Uh, yes. The the arc. The designer of the or the owner, like the White Star Line rep, captain. Yeah. Just everybody is. Jonathan Hyde. That's the guy from Jumanji. I think. Right. Is he? Oh is he the shit! Hunter? You're right. You're right. Yeah, I love okay. that guy. This guy's fantastic. Um, twenty years, twenty years later, how, what did what what did you think of the disaster itself? How Cameron handled the panic, the sinking, everything. Um. So my overall thought, I when it starts to happen, you know, we still have about an hour and a half left, give or take, and I was surprised by that. I mean, I knew this ship took a long time to go down, or it took you know an extended period of time. It wasn't just like an immediate, um. You know, day after tomorrow, 2012, Roland Emmerich type disaster. It, it takes a while for it to happen. And I, I kind of liked that because there was a sense of the, the building tension and desperation and the people trying to get out. There was obviously plenty of chances for Cameron and everyone else, all, all the technical side of things, to show off these great sets, these great special effects, which most of which I find still hold up. I mean, there's obviously there's some very obvious shots. Um but it didn't take away from anything. So I liked the, I liked it as a whole. I was very entertained, very entertained from that moment on, particularly when um, the insane uh, Cal starts running around and shooting at them. I was just like, this is, now you're like talking my language. Like you, <laughs> you somehow like hit exactly what I wanted this movie to look like. And it's, if the post, if, if I made the poster, it would be the ship, 
crooked in half in the background, Billy Zane pointing the gun in the middle of it, and then Jack and Rose very faintly in the background. <laughs> that would be it. I would have him right dead center, just menacing. Um, yeah. So, on the, on the positive side, I thought there was that. But I, I did, and I feel bad, I feel bad, but I, I did find myself, and my wife will my, my wife will back me up on this because when I started to talk about it, she knew exactly where I was going with it because we both have the same sense of humor. Anytime, anytime somebody fell and hit something, I was laughing hysterically. <laughs> Just it, because there was so much detail in the effects like the sound, it would hit something metal and they'd go cling. And I just was like, this is like a Looney Tunes cartoon. And you're, and I just, I was just, I was loving it for maybe some of the wrong reasons, but I think mostly I loved it for the right reasons. <laughs> that makes any sense. I just, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It makes, it makes perfect sense. Cameron is, doesn't handle people all that well, but he does big spectacle like none other. Uh, it's, I was amazed at how, he uses location like nobody, certainly nobody nowadays does because it's all CGI and whatnot. Mm. But he, like, I never was lost. I knew where we were. I could practically, yeah. I could probably find my way back to the jail cell that yep. Jack was in. Everything. He's, uh, he has a great, that's why movies take friggin' ever that they, he blocks things out. He thinks mm-hmm. about these. He's, he's great at that. So the action still holds up. There's some dodgy CGI. Definitely some bad matting, but mm. overall, it's a uh, it's still it's still an impressive experience. It's just like insane when like the ship just sort of stern heel is now oh, sound nine, and everything ninety degrees so upright. Good. It's a it's a perfect so marriage of all the technical aspects of filmmaking. Yeah, but all right, we're we're winding down, and I got one last point. Uh, I realized there's a fun fact is that apparently there is an unspoken rule. That if you survive a shipwreck, your when you die, your soul will be called down to join the dead of that shipwreck, where you will stay forever. Wow. Yeah. It kind of got a lot darker then, didn't it? Also, yeah. also, it certainly did. <laughs> also, she married a guy for and was married to him for how many years? Where is he? Where is he? No. It's because your soul has been tagged and you're going down to the shipwreck where you where you belonged. You just cheated death because it's the candy man. He's coming after you. Oh, no, no, no. My my greatest fear, he's here. There's no mirror in my room. I think I'm safe, though, and I haven't said his name. You've said it once. I'm not going to say it four okay. more times, though. Oh, oh man. All right. Um. Anyways, uh, winding down, Matt, did Titanic deserve Best Picture? Oh, that's the question. Um, man. So there's a part of me that wants to say yes, just for the, the just brass balls to make the film the way that that Cameron made it. Um, the the technical aspects of the film are superlative for the most part, and it shows in the other awards won for the film. But if I'm if I'm just looking at it by itself and I, and I could just remove the other nominees and other films that year out of my head, which is an impossibility. But if I'm just looking at Titanic on its own, I would say for me, it doesn't necessarily deserve to win, but I could certainly see why it won because it it feels like, um, it feels like one of those movies that the Academy would put a lot of oomph behind. And I'll say this at the very least, 
if it's going to be this big, sweeping, old-fashioned movie, at least we get an hour and a half of just absolute destruction, uh, gun-toting Billy Zane. I'm going to keep bringing him up because I love him very much in this movie. Um, so at least there's there's elements that can kind of bring different audiences, audience members together. So it is, and it's universal in that sense. So I don't personally think it deserved to win, but I certainly, I, I'm not going to... Um, you know, put my boxing gloves on and go 20 rounds with someone who likes it right. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough one. It's maybe it's not the best story, but a movie is more than just the screenplay. There's so much more that goes into it. And Titanic above all is an event. This is a movie event that we just don't really see anymore. Maybe star Wars, but this had everything going for it. So is it the best movie of the year? No. Goodwill Hunting, Ellie Confident. Like I think maybe the four nom- the four other nominees, I you could make a case for all of them being better. Mm-hmm. But in sheer cultural significance, mm-hmm. there is no greater film from nineteen ninety seven than Titanic. And so to reward the movie of the year, which is more or less like to think what the Academy does, then yes, Titanic did deserve that. And mm. I think for its staying power for all of the moments that we've touched upon that have endured for two decades now, then yes, I think the Academy made the right choice. And if it hadn't won, we'd be looking back at why the hell didn't Titanic win mm-hmm. Best Picture? But it did. And so I give it, I so I will say yes with reservations, but you know, in looking at just all the things that go into into the film, and not even just the film itself, but how it affects the world, then yes, Titanic deserved Best Picture. And there we have it. You have been listening to Oscar Watch. I want to thank you all so much for tuning in. If you like what you hear, you can drop us a, a line at OscarWatchPodcast at gmail.com or find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at OscarWatchPod. Matt, where can people find you if they want to hear or read your life and works? Instagram, as usual, is the best place. Uh, it's uh, movie underscore matinee with two T's in matinee, like my name. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where all my reviews and sometimes pictures of my dogs and <laughs> <laughs> um, Oscar Watch podcast stuff is going up there, too. So, yeah, just a place if you want to follow and check out my quirky sensibilities. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining me, Matt. I love I love having these conversations with you. Next week on the podcast, we'll be discussing Pixar's Up. I'm very excited to revisit. Oh yes, yes. best animated best animated film Up should be a good time. And until then, we will see you on the red carpet. And know, folks, that my heart will always go on. Mine too. <laughs>